0: The U.S.L. show, also known as the View for Soccer. I gave a very pro wrestling heel turn. I'm sorry you were offended. Apology. The U.S. military
1: discussing what a naruto run is for the Area 51 raid. I feel angry. Who disappointed me?
0: Welcome, everybody, to the USL Show. This is Phil, and I have a special guest. Jeff Reuter is here from The Athletic. I've talked to him about him a lot. I've talked to him some. Uh, I try not to bother you much, Jeff, uh, but you're finally on the show, man. Welcome to the USL Show.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's good to finally be here. I, You know, there was a certain point where I just assumed I wasn't going to be on the USL Show, and I would just <laughs> write about the league, and I'd listen from afar, and that'd be the end of it. But no, it's good. It's good to actually be here.
0: Good, yeah, and thanks for coming on for sure. Um, yeah, you've written a lot about the USL in the last year or so. What kind of made you I'm gonna start with this how, how did what made you start mm-hmm. writing about the USL in general? Um,
1: it, it, in a way, it's actually getting back to writing about the USL. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for for people who started following me after I started covering major League Soccer, I actually first began covering American soccer in the NASL. And the USL also kind of drifted into my coverage uh, here and there because of how much overlap there was between the two lower divisions. Uh, so I have an affinity for the US lower divisions, the lower leagues. Uh, certainly it's, uh, I mean, it's just, it's more, to me at least, I think there's more unique, interesting storylines with it. And there's obviously a lot of teams and a lot of stuff going on where uh, it, it, it is, something I really enjoy covering. So for me, once I got to The Athletic and I started writing for them in 2018, uh, I had been hearing a few different things. I think this was in August or so, half a year into my time freelancing for The Athletic where I'd heard a lot of things about the USL. I'd been following it a little bit closer. certainly as I had a little bit more bandwidth uh, once I went full-time freelance. And that's when I put out this big report about uh, New York Red Bulls too at the time using a punch card system, about teams training in public parks, about players playing without insurance, about all of the NASL veterans who had to take significant pay cuts or retire at like 28 because they would have needed health insurance, all of this sort of stuff. And I put out a, a report that I think the, the the number one comment on that was, please cover the USL more. Hmm. So as a result, I ended up really getting into it a lot more, uh, This coincided with a couple of changes at USL headquarters, which made them much more accessible to cover as well, just in terms of actually being able to get answers, whereas in the past, it was a little bit uh, touching no, because I mean, they expanded so much over the last two years as the league itself has. So uh, as a result from that, da 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 da. now we're about 20 months in advance with no soccer being played in the month of May. Hmm. And I'm still out here covering the USL.
0: Yeah. And and to back you up, like I, I was reading through a lot of your stuff to kind of prep for this. And yeah, you, you mentioned the NSL a lot in all of your articles. And I, first of all, I love that. It's something I'm not as familiar yeah. about. But <laughs> of course, it has parallels <laughs> to the USL now, which is in some ways why you're writing about it now, because mm-hmm. it is starting to fill the roles it's not even up to that level but it's starting to fill those roles in some ways um, but I thought it was interesting too that you waited till you were no longer freelance to write about the USL and I thought I thought that was my first thought when you started writing I was like I hope this continues I thought maybe The Athletic would not let you write too much about the USL sounds like you have free sure. reign in, in some ways but I wanted to ask you about that for sure
1: yeah no it's a totally fair question too uh, first the NASL Uh, It was the first league that I covered so in depth and I think what was different, the biggest difference about the NASL from the USL is that the USL is weird, don't get me wrong, (laughs) but it's weird in comprehensible ways. Like you can kind of envision the problems that are going on. The NASL was players getting traded for buses or for yeah. busing <laughs> to and from games in a hotel block players yeah. or coaches getting fired at the airport because they didn't win the final game of the season uh teams not paying the players on time players getting sold within the nasl for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars of american currency just this absurd stuff uh that just really is endearing in a weird way when it isn't your your life being affected by some of these bad things going on (laughs) in the league so i think it just kind of drifts back because at the end of the day the nasl as well was a very very strong on field product certainly for second division standards uh, in the united states and it's only recently i would say within the last probably even like the second half of the 2019 season where you saw glimpses of that week in week out most matchups in the usl championship so i think it is getting closer to that And there's still a lot of the same personnel right a lot of the same coaches Mm -hmm. a lot of the same players who have drifted into the usl if they're still playing so there is some overlap there that just kind of begs comparison um as far as the athletic letting me write about them i mean to be completely honest there's just been a very strong response to it Uh, i I think that people underestimate and and i don't necessarily want to tip this hand too much and suddenly have uh, (laughs) a lot of different publications that i have to work against but um i think that there's incredibly strong local coverage of the USL, most clubs within their markets. But I think nationally, people get sucked into Major League Soccer or the NWSL sometimes. But I mean, frankly, even that's mostly the US Women's National Team, Mm -hmm. not the NWSL. So I think that a lot of writers stick with Major League Soccer. And I've just found that the USL, there's a lot of uh, really interesting stories that aren't told, or there's a lot of reporting that could be done, uh, and, and I'm lucky to have three editors with George Koreshi Brooks Peck, and Alex Abnos who completely agree with me, and if I come to them with a story and I say, hey, there's, there's some troubles going on with this club, or hey, I'm hearing about this trend that's starting to happen much more across the USL, I really want to explore it, they're not saying, okay, well, you need to tell us that it's going to be worthwhile compared to another piece about Zlatan Ibrahimovic, mm-hmm. uh, because my piece I wrote about Zlatan Ibrahimovic did a lot worse than everything I wrote about the USL in 2019. So uh, with all of that said, I, I think that American soccer in general has an inferiority complex that we all need to get over. And I think that the USL is worth taking seriously more than a lot of people in the USL give it credit for.
0: Yeah, an inferiority uh, complex within an inferiority complex, for sure. Uh, because that's how we <laughs> feel a lot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I even th- I even thanked um, Sam Stasekul, who came on, because he talked about something that related to the USL very strongly. You had Sam
1: on this before me.
0: Yeah, sorry, um, pal. It's, it's kind right. of unacceptable.
1: Right. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, Sam, good for you. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, I'm not sure he cared. But I, I thanked him profusely for covering something in the USL, and he was like... Uh, uh, he was like stop thanking me like the USL is a thing now you know yes. like it's worth writing about and that made me feel yeah. good. Um
1: absolutely no and and Sam I mean we all get along. We genuinely oh, sure. do. <laughs> you uh, can tell. There's no like George Clooney like pranks. Actually we did have a prank this morning on our conference call. Uh <laughs> but uh, no Sam's great. And I'm I'm glad but Sam is right like I mean it's a legitimate thing. It's not us driving out to a U8 team in a random town of America and writing about one kid who's really cool hmm. and then putting it in the athletic. It's not something like that, you know? Like it's it's professional soccer. Yeah. Like we can cover professional soccer in the country that we're writing from Yeah. It's not
0: that bad. Yeah. And you'll be able to, I'm going to move on, but you'll be able to reference certain names in the USL that you wrote about in the athletic. That'll get huge at some point. Um, You know, we're going to talk about that a little Mm -hmm. bit later here, actually, but I want to start with this coach's survey because I think it was my favorite read, which is like, it sucks for you because it's not something you probably were like oh my prose was perfect no it's uh um, oh, yeah yeah it was just like cool information to kind of dig in and on and so I'm gonna kind of list all the topics that you you put in there um first of all thanks for doing this because it's a lot of fun I'm really impressed that everyone oh I
1: love anonymous surveys yeah I absolutely love anonymous surveys and this was something that I really wish uh again my my ex loved the NSL I wish that I could have oh, done yeah. an NSL survey because it would have just been insane but but this one i mean 34 out of 35 coaches wanting to participate i'll take it it's awesome i wish neil collins would have but <laughs> aside from that
0: and you called him out i believe it. actually um
1: I, I love it yeah i didn't it didn't publication i warned them ahead of time too mm-hmm. uh, every club knew that if they didn't participate they would be listed uh and only one did to be fair neil collins could kick my ass so like it's fine <laughs> there's you no doing. beef with neil collins for sure he's a big former professional center back i'm afraid of it (laughs) and a bar fight i'm very afraid of it but anyway let's go on
0: agree well you mentioned uh best and worst away days uh fan culture better best conference uh, best players for mls Mm -hmm. best acquisition of players underrated overrated teams i think or players oh no those were players best coach baseball stadiums pro rel mls to uh MLS 2 teams to League 1, uh, scouting League 1 for players, USL coaches uh, to MLS. Top change mm-hmm. needed in the USL. That's all of those things. Tell me some of your favorites, I'm, and I'm going to ask you about one or two of my favorites. Uh,
1: I, I think that the just the funniest thing that came from this was that the survey, I sent the survey out in February. So we're still four weeks away from the regular season. There were some coaches who were waffling and saying, like, I want to wait till the final day because there's some questions like favorite offseason transaction where they're like, well, who knows if in the second to last week uh, before the season starts, we're going to have like a fantastic transaction that I want to mm-hmm. talk about, which is fine. I get it. It's totally <laughs> cool. As long as they fill it out, I'm happy. Yeah. And one of the questions was, who's more likely to come out of retirement to play for their team, Tim Howard or Landon Donovan? <laughs> and the, the, the feedback for it was just scathing. People telling me it was a stupid question people telling me that it would be a make a mockery of the usl if either happened Uh, i think that 19 of the 34 said that neither would come out of retirement one brave person said both so landon the clock's on and three people (laughs) said landon but 11 said tip and those 11 were right and the fact that this came out after his first start where they blew a 2-0 lead against indy Mm. and lost 4-2 uh just made it a little more fun Uh, (laughs) that that was what came from it so that was something that i really enjoyed uh the tim howard memes uh have been fantastic keep them up uh overall though uh i mean they were just i think in general i mean seeing the the strength of play between the conferences which i'm sure is something that we'll get into uh considering st louis plays in both conferences and you're based out (laughs) of st (laughs) louis uh depending on the season but i think that i mean The baseball park thing, I actually thought that was going to be uh, unanimous, that coaches have to adjust their tactics when they play in a baseball stadium. Uh, The fact that there were nine coaches who maybe they were just tapping into their bravado and saying, no, I'm a genius tinkerer, and I factor in for everything when I make my game plan. Maybe, fine. But I'm sure that you're at least thinking about field size, and if that has to be smaller because of the baseball park, that's still a change in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that's what stood out to me. I'm sure there's a lot that I could talk about, so you can cut me off at
0: this point. Well, no, that one was surprised me because it wasn't as uh, unanimous as I thought as well, but the uh, one that mm-hmm. shocked me was MLS two teams to League One. That was like against, and I and I thought it would be people would be for mm-hmm. that, and I was shocked at that. A- any thoughts on that, on that one particularly?
1: I- Yeah, I think that a couple of things have changed that tide a little bit over the last 12 months. So that would have been the thing that Sam wrote about Mm -hmm. in July, uh, where there were a lot of independent clubs who were looking at attendance numbers, looking at brands, looking at identity, looking at, frankly, the table, and saying with all four of these things, uh, let's kick out the MLS2 teams. Let's drop them to the third division. Let's have that the Reserves League with a few independent clubs as well. And let's keep the championship to be... uh, I mean, there's a strong independent second division. Uh, What ended up happening is that the strongest of the independent brands' on-field products lost in the championship game to an MLS affiliate, so you can't talk about the quality of play anymore. Uh, Yes, attendance has been bad. I I mean, it's awful, and I completely understand. Like When the TV uh, schedule came out for ESPN, I understood why there weren't any affiliates hosting games Mm. because you can't have a crowd of 500 people to 2,000 people and say, this is the USL, this is how strong we are, give us more TV money. I completely get it. But I think that people also noticed that the USL really stabilized once these affiliates partnered up and joined into the usl that's when they finally were able to again overcome their nemesis the nasl stabilize have a core of competitive teams you had champions not just monarchs but you had red bulls 2 uh ex-slope park rangers rest in peace you're a great brand now you're just sporting kansas city 2 which sucks Mm -hmm. that's fine uh they made it to a final as well against red bulls 2 uh you know like there are really strong teams on the field you have clubs like Atlanta, who get overlooked a lot in this discussion, but they actually do very well to integrate their talent to the point where they say, look, we want to give more minutes to players we think will go to MLS in the future. Mm-hmm. We're going to loan out Andrew Carlton, partly so that we can free up a spot for them, partly because he just needs to get out of Atlanta for a minute <laughs> and clear his head up in Indianapolis. But, and that's actually, a, that's something I've been thinking about a lot over the last like few weeks, is what happens with Andrew Carlton through this whole thing, but maybe that just doesn't matter.
0: At I know. Time, right? No, me too. Uh, so, <laughs> Look, i don't know
1: this is such a huge season for him and suddenly he's up of his comfort zone with no games going on it's a crazy situation but I, back to your question though i think that more USL clubs are seeing the merit of these affiliates they're seeing where there's strength in not just the pure numbers of it because the league is arguably already too big but i think that they see the quality that they bring uh the Just the optics of being able to say Alphonso Davies played in the USL Championship, Mm. Tyler Adams played and won the USL, Aaron Long was able to rise up within an affiliate, but he was able to become MLS Defender of the Year two years after playing in a USL final. Mm -hmm. These sort of things help give some sort of credibility to the league frankly just in terms of being player development and i know that they don't want to be pigeonholed as a development league but it does help the usl be taken more seriously uh from the greater american soccer fan which is step one to get building your audience.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of hip to be developing youth right now. So it's not the worst thing to keep some of them in there if the teams are doing a good job, which a few are. And uh, we'll put a pin in that one until we get a little bit more information about uh, what's going on with the DA or the lack thereof. Uh, because I think that conversation has a little bit to do with that situation as well. Um, let's move on. This is a quick one. David Ochoa, you wrote a piece on him. By the way, I didn't say this. We're doing a, bit, a little bit of a best of Jeff Reuter in the USL today. So uh, we're going to go down a few of these uh, articles. Um, All of which I've read. Um, David Ochoa, you wrote something about him. Um, We can kind of also mention, I know you're up to date on a lot of the youth in the USL right now. Uh, Jose Gallegos had a a real coming out party in uh, the preseason there. Um, These guys have been coming up in the USL and and getting better there. And it's going well. It's hip to talk about it, like I mentioned. Do you think David Ochoa had a chance to start in MLS this year? It, It didn't look too good at the beginning.
1: I have a hunch... So I think a part of why he started the season back with Monarchs may have had to do with the fact that he was a lock to be on that United States U-23 roster for Mm -hmm. Olympic qualification. So if you're not going to have Ochoa as your slam dunk starting goalkeeper, it doesn't necessarily make sense to have him with RSL for the first couple of weeks um, with the senior team. So instead you look at it and and RSL slash Monarchs is probably the only club who truly looks at it as one club, whereas, yes, Monarchs is a different brand, but they do treat it very seriously at both levels, where they say, okay, let's start him there, let's get him his reps, let's, let's uh, kind of ease him back into the season. We'll give McMath, I think, ended up starting the first couple of games for RSL, or Putna, take your pick, um, and they went with McMath. But you give them the first starts with RSL, you have some momentum, so you're not messing with the senior team uh in terms of their goalkeeper their starting goalkeeper throughout the season you see ochoa go off he plays well he comes back and then he's able to fight again to become the starter at rsl i think that he would have probably i think mcmath is okay he's a he's a really solid i i i guess wins above replacement kind of goalkeeper i think that he's strong but for a team that wants to find you know a a 5 10 15 year starter who also is already a u.s youth international staple and has the potential to be moving on to other leagues for a transfer fee that's probably the player that you're going to be giving as many chances to as possible i think that there's a very real chance he would have worked into that and now who knows but who knows if there's going to be a season at this point right right uh, i think that ochoa did have a very real chance i think he's a very talented goalkeeper i think that he showed i mean i was standing right behind him Uh, like in front of the fence. This probably isn't cool, but like I was standing on the field during the USL Championship final last year in Louisville. I decided to stand behind Ochoa's net for the second half. Um, And if you watch the broadcast, actually, the final kick that goes wide of Ochoa's net and has this terrible first touch that comes off of what looks like the barricade. It's actually my foot. Um, (laughs) But uh, all of this sort of stuff just kind of leads me to think that, yeah, Ochoa does have a very serious future. Uh, whether this year would have been too soon, we'll never know, but that's probably okay. I think that Ojoa still is going to be a very strong MLS goalkeeper.
0: Here's a fun one. I'm I'm gonna dip into US national team nerd talk here for a second. Um Let's do it. Gallegos versus Alvarez. I think it's uh Brian Cliven mentioned Alvarez in that like best of U20s, 11, and you mentioned Alvarez, who we thought was gone for good in Mexico. Um, if you had to take one, um, and it's it's almost like this is what people are, are stabbing at, if you you could only take one or the other, <laughs> but if you could only take one, isn't it funny that Gallegos is in that conversation now, based on what we've said about Alvarez in the past?
1: It is funny. I mean, it completely is, right? Like, I don't think that there are many people who would have guessed 12 months ago that this would even be uh remotely serious discussion um and and I know that I mean if you're looking at the counting stats like gallegos wasn't necessarily like tearing up the league he no. wasn't going to be challenging say teammate Christian Perano for young player of the year but I think that he showed so much uh just in terms of his potential that it's pretty undeniable that he does have a future at those levels I think I'm taking Alvarez purely because <laughs> I want to cap tie him sooner than possible yeah. <laughs> and make sure that he is going to play for the United States. So I certainly can cap him first. Um, man, there are some really good players coming out of San Antonio. I think Leo Torres also has a tremendous amount of potential uh, just in terms of being able to be, uh, you know, another quality young player coming through San Antonio. A- and it will be really interesting to see with the USL Academy model, like how many more are going to come from there because that's a market that you want to be able to, Really spread the footprint of your scouting of quality young players and getting them in the pathway to pro sooner. Um, San Antonio does a tremendous job with that. Uh, I'm sure they wish that meant playoff success or even playoff qualification, yeah. but I think they're getting much better at least that part, which should hopefully breed success on the field in the future.
0: Yeah, Orange County's taking Who some you take out. It?
1: Am I wrong? No, say <laughs> again. I don't know. Alvarez? Is...
0: Alvarez, oh. am I wrong? Would you. Uh, I think. Here's the thing. I'll just be devil's advocate because I'm 50-50 on it, too. Alvarez has special talents. But I think the cool thing about Gallegos is that, um, let's say, the U.S. national team uh, system and coaches Mm -hmm. tend to like really hard workers, let's say. And Perron are... Sorry, so they go back
1: to the grassroots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: and so Gallegos... Is a much harder worker than Alvarez. I think it's pretty clear just by watching him. Yeah. And yeah. and Gallegos has a lot of the, the gamer mentality in him. He doesn't have the left foot that Alvarez has. So that's the downside. But if you want a guy <laughs> that's true. gonna work okay. his butt off in defense as well as offense, I think Gallegos is your guy. That's the devil's advocate advocate in my in my mind at least. It's
1: a strong one. No. I mean it, it genuinely is something that like takes thought. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. not necessarily <laughs> like you know, if a publication were gonna say which pool of the U.S. Men's National Team was going to win a game. Would it be the players playing in MLS or the players playing the rest of the world? You know, like that's <laughs> that's not a compelling discussion. Yeah. <laughs> but this, I think that, you know, Gaius Alvarez, you know, like there's very serious merits. I think this is something that I'm actually really enjoying about the USL more over the last year or two. Yeah. Is that you're seeing more of these players where you can have these kind of like-to-like discussions uh, instead of just saying... Uh, you know, do you think this player could make it an MLS? I think we've moved past that, which is fantastic. Yeah. And that's the way that this should all be trending.
0: I completely agree. And, and th- that's what I love about it that that is a compelling argument, even though they're in totally different leagues right now. Um, and that's one of the best things about um soccer being a world sport for sure um moving to the next um article six big questions about the east six big questions about the west i'm going to combine one article into one question for you how's this um you mentioned that is the east going to be top heavy and um has the east surpassed the west oh no you asked if the west has surpassed the east top to bottom
1: yep what do you think this feels like forever ago, by the way. Like, it was, <laughs> wasn't it? I know, right? Like, but it's crazy to think that you know, two months ago we were thinking about the start of the USL season, and we we're like, great, we're gonna have so many games to watch, we're gonna have so many players to pick apart, so many coaches to analyze, and I'm here drinking a Guinness right. at nine <laughs> on a Monday night, and it's all good. Instead, and we're just talking hypotheticals, which is great. So, anyway, has. Well, let's start with your take, because I've written mine, right? But I mm-hmm. want to know, like, for you, first off, which do you prefer, a deeper conference or a better conference at the top? Like, do you, do you care about the semifinals in the conference, or do you care about the opening round in the regular season? And to that end, if you if you had to say, looking at the field, who was going to win the USL Championship Final this year, and you could only say the conference, which one are you picking
0: yeah so the last question first uh, I'd pick the East to win I think Um, but uh, man I, I don't like parody, I I think it's because I've watched too much European soccer, and I really love that that's there's great. a top and there's a bottom, and, and the bottom guys winning once in a while with their crazy style of, of, of uh, bunkering or whatever it would be, I, lo- I like that, yeah. I think that's cool, I think it's fun stories when we get a lot of star players on one team, which has been happening in the East, right, it's been really fun to watch, mm-hmm. for me personally, um, but in the West, dude, everyone's got a chance every week, unless they're playing Phoenix.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, unless they're playing phoenix right. uh unless it's the postseason.
0: Yeah. yeah well as long as there's Last dollar year. beer night let's say phoenix on dollar beer night that's fair right oh dollar beer night is <laughs> the
1: best thing in american sports it's and been you good. can't convince me otherwise I agree. just stop throwing the beer though that's my one note yeah. like don't throw the beer on the field
0: yeah anyway, uh we will it. we will single you out you jerks uh but what do you think jeff what do you think about <laughs> these
1: you know i i like I, so part of this is also like, what do they call it? NBA court, not courtside. That's an old game. League Pass, which is that thing where like you can watch any game and you can quick jump over and you can watch whatever. And so there's uh, there's the idea that if you could only watch one game in a night, are you more likely to watch? And you kind of rank your hierarchy. Everyone does it, where they say, "Yeah, you know, I want to watch this team before I watch this team." And if these two teams match up and you do the average score or whatever, and you're going to watch, if you tell me that you're gonna have a good Saturday night, seven o'clock central kickoff between Louisville and Tampa, I'm not checking the rest of the schedule. That's what I'm watching. <laughs> yeah. Or if I'm watching, uh, I mean, you know, Miami versus St. Louis, I'm probably gonna watch that because I think that there's some really interesting players who are involved in the Eastern Conference. But I think that teams coming out of the West now are just so much more battle-hardened But by the time you get to the playoffs, those games are impossible to look away from. And I think that you're much more likely to see a lopsided game or a game that's uninspired in the East once you get to the knockout. And I'm not necessarily a big playoff wonk. I think that open table is the way to go if you're gonna determine a true champion. But if I'm covering a league with a playoff system, I have to care about the playoffs. And if Mm -hmm. I care about the playoffs, I want the best game possible. So I think at this point, I saw enough last year in the Western Conference playoffs to make me think that the West was going to repeat and win their second title of the last, what is it, eight years now? Um, I don't think it was a fluke. I think that there are a lot of really good teams in the West, and if I'm being completely honest, Phoenix is just unstoppable on paper. Hmm. So I would probably just pick the conference with the best team in the league, and Phoenix is the best team in the league in 2020
0: yeah yeah and that's that was my second thought for sure when i said east but uh i agree with you and and the way they reloaded was yeah. pretty smart if if it worked in their favor it doesn't always but the moves were right it seemed right. like so um yeah what about the west um you asked six questions about the west i closed it now and i can't remember exactly what you asked oh but- that's fine <laughs>
1: i mean the questions are things if i remember right because i wrote this with joe lowry um great writer good choice him, yes for sure if you but uh, I think there was new coaches. There were a fair amount of new coaches this year in the West. Uh, you've got Landon launching as one of the new coaches, I guess, with Boyle. Um, you've got can anybody beat Phoenix? Uh, you've got my very well documented now appreciation for what Mark Lowry is trying to do out in El Paso, mm-hmm. uh, which steals some time, gives me so much crap for, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> I was right. I don't know. It was great. They made it to the Final Four last year. That's yeah. what I predicted. And, I love it. Uh, they lived up to the hype. It was great. So I think that was the West. I think that the East has more potential for drama once you get to the conference semifinals. But I think the West is so deep. I think that you've got teams even that missed the playoffs. Let's see like San Antonio, who on paper look like they really should be in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, you've got retooling. You've got questions about like, well, what's New Mexico going to do in year two. Uh, What is John Pasquarello's coaching identity like at OKC because that's a club that always has the budget to compete. That's kind of stuff. That's really interesting to me. And who knows if we'll get to see that. Mm -hmm. But those were the questions, I think, roughly
0: yeah um I want to jump to the Mark Lowry one because I didn't know people gave you crap for it I guess that's gonna happen when you're in your position but I loved it I I think Mark Lowry is really cool there are a lot of coaches I think I tweeted recently that I think he would be in the conversation for top five USL coaches for sure um since he's been in the league yeah and the coolest thing and this is what you point out the most I would say uh in your article is that He's trying something no one else is trying. He's trying to do the tiki-taka soccer. He's trying to have possession. The most passes in the league, what, second to Louisville, and then there's a giant gap, right? So um, I love man, it because man. I think it's harder to win that way, personally. Um, but I admire mm. him doing it. Um, you kind of mentioned that. You mentioned a lot of coaches, when there's pressure on, will stick to a counterattacking style because you think it might be more likely to win. So, yeah, those are my favorite things yeah. about Mark. But you talked to him. So what was that conversation like?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Talked to him a few times. Uh, so again, he was the interim turned full-time coach of the Jacksonville Armada when they were in the NASL, so we have that sort of history. We've done interviews in the past. So like, I think the reason steals steal some time and some people on Twitter uh, who are fans of other clubs at the Western Conference uh, give me so much flack about talking about El Paso was that before Chiesa even signed for El Paso midway through last season, I was already saying that they were going to be uh, a Western Conference champion challenger. Uh, because purely of Mark Lowry's coaching acumen, and then they couldn't score a single goal. And so everyone was like, what are you seeing? What are you talking about? Yeah. They made one correct signing, uh, which was correct for about three months. <laughs> and then who knows where Jerome Keyes the better went once like September rolled around. But uh, that sort of thing. I think what I like about Lowry is that, much like Mark Dos Santos, for people who have been following the USL for a while, or just soccer in North America for the last decade, Dos Santos is beloved by every single player that he's had um, because he's able to motivate them and really empathize with them, I think, in a way that other coaches just don't. And I don't think it's necessarily like, I'm going to throw my arm around you and I'm going to sit here for an hour and listen to your problems and you you don't have to train today. It's more like understanding what it's like to be a lower division player, where you probably have a big chip on your shoulder because you're not playing a major league soccer or you're not playing in a league bigger than major league soccer. So you wanna prove yourself um, or you're a player who's you know, working, uh, busting your butt to make sure that you're able to make a living and continue doing this. And instead of uh, you know, going business as usual or you're a piece in my system, it's I'm the coach who's going to lock the best in you. And that sort of thing I think Lowry does really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that he's someone who's incredibly sharp. He's someone who certainly is uh, young, again, like Dos Santos, uh, where they have that sort of advantage of being close to the player's age so they can relate a little bit quicker. Um, but I just think overall Lowry has a really sharp tactical identity that he doesn't shy away from. And I know, again, here comes the Dos Santos comparison, but I think a part of that, even though they're completely different coaches ideologically, like a Dos Santos team is never going to look like a Lowry team, but the difference is that they're never going to change from their beliefs and at least what the core is of their technical identity. They'll change the formation, they'll change the players, but they're not going to say suddenly like, oh, okay, we're hosting Phoenix. Uh, let's put nine men behind the ball. Uh, make them break us down, break on the counter, we're going to kick it to a sprinter who's going to run onto the ball and he's going to shoot shots from 18 yards out and hopefully one or two goes in and then we win. Um, They're never going to play like that. And I think that's something that players appreciate, that sort of dependability and knowing that the coach (laughs) believes in what they're teaching the players, but also believe in the players themselves. Um, So that sort of thing really stands out about the two marks. Uh, And in this case, especially Mark Lowry. Um, And I I think that right now he, he has as bright a future as any coach in the USL.
0: I love that com- that, uh, that comparison to Lowry and Dos Santos because you get to get these uh, these guys' personalities a little easier than we do. You talk to them a little bit more. Um, and so those aren't mm-hmm. things that I knew per se. So I appreciate that. And it's really interesting to hear mm-hmm. those different things popping through. Um, one thing in your article was talking about uh, Richie, or was it Ryan? Richie Ryan, sorry. He was saying how Richie uh, yep. <laughs> Lowry will stay and just study other teams long after training hours. And so I found it interesting that that's something that Ant Poulos was big on here in St. Louis, right? Yeah, um, yeah, he was. But I think there's something really special, and it's like a special personality that's able to get the most out of guys, like you mentioned with Dos Santos and, and Lowry, that um, perhaps, I don't know for sure, but Poulos seemed to be lacking that. Um, and it just gets results. It's so weird that it works so well, uh, but it does. Yeah. The, the it really does. Day. Go ahead. Yeah,
1: I, I think overall, I mean, the, just the more, and this is something too, right? The, the coaches who are more confident, I know that this is a week in, week out results business mm. where coaches are a little worried, but the coaches who are more willing to tell their players, like, no, I'm not going to suddenly throw you a brand new tactic four days before a game because the matchup's intimidating. Mm. Um, the coaches who are willing to actually stick to their roots and Bob lily their way through a season. You know, that sort of stuff keeps you at a job. Uh, the coaches who are willing to hack worth their way through. I mean, like I can name you people, is another one, but I can name you these coaches, right? And I yeah. think everyone can point to the coaches and say like, that's an identity, that's a philosophy, that sort of stuff. Um, and the ones who don't have a really tough time staying in these jobs and it, it's this weird, I know we talked, we joked about the inferiority complex, but it does go into the coaching ranks as well in my opinion. Oh, I for think sure. that there's some serious points where the second you start questioning yourself and say, okay, but I know I've seen the 2005 Champions League final where Mourinho played this way and Porto was able to knock off all of the giants of Europe, I'm gonna play that way too. <laughs> You're, you don't have a Porto's roster. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. And I know they're knocking off giants, but they're a giant, right? I, I think the ones who are able to say, these are the players I have, this is the philosophy I have, where do they mesh together and we're gonna build around that instead of panicking week to week. Mm-hmm. Those are the coaches that always have the most success.
0: Yeah, I like that too, for sure. Um, you know, We mentioned Pulis there as one of the coaches that sticks to his guns, and it did work in the Open Cup in his defense, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this is a yeah. bit of a Homer yeah. conversation in that you wrote about them, perhaps uh, with an MLS team on the way, not having a USL club yeah. in, in the following year, which sucks if this year doesn't happen and that mm-hmm. happens. Um, as a side yeah. note, a personal note there, but I thought it'd be interesting to talk yeah. about the difference between that and Sacramento, because because Sacramento seems to be, it's going to be the same same organization, right? And so in my head, mm-hmm. I, I keep thinking some teams will, let's say Chicago Fire, you know, the, the strikers are still right there. And so a great um, DA Academy over the years, and then the Fire started their own and they're both still doing okay, right? Um, St. Louis could have a yep. situation where Scott Gallagher is still around while the MLS Academy is still around. And so um, I don't see that happening Absolutely. in Sacramento, though. Um, but what what's your thought process on all of that. Um, it's it's looking like St. Louis might yeah. be headed that way.
1: So the, the, the tough part about Sacramento to St. Louis is that Sacramento itself is going to be moving up like an Orlando City situation yeah. five years ago, six years ago now, wow. um, where, and they still haven't made the playoffs nonetheless, that's crazy, uh, <laughs> but it's a situation where the whole organization, the whole operation is moving up. So Sacramento might have the luxury of just selling their USL rights to the highest bidder if they don't want to field an in-house affiliate. So they're not thinking about, am I gonna be able to keep another academy? Am I gonna be able to sustain an affiliate in Sacramento, which is by the modern definition of Major League Soccer, a somewhat small market, right? Uh, So I, I think that from Orlando became Louisville, from that rib that was left in the USL Hmm. Bowl. And I think likewise, you might be able to see another club jump in when Sacramento leaves. But with St. Louis, the difficult thing is St. Louis first, already knows that the MLS team isn't coming until 2022. Second, they know that while there are a lot of common links when you look at minority owners in the MLS group, when you look at key employees or whatever, between the two, there's overlap, but it's led by a different group. Hmm. So uh, in that sense, it's a very—it's an entirely different club, right? It, it's a very similar situation at that point to what's going to go on, what's currently going on in Austin and what next year will go on, I'm sure, yeah. in Charlotte. And it was going to be very interesting this year to see what the Miami FC, I said the, thank you, uh, <laughs> what the Miami FC was going to be able to do Uh, to withstand the barrage of interest in inter-miami considering they themselves were a brand new club in this league even though they were established in other leagues so that was going to be a really good litmus test and something i was really looking forward to following this season i was going to go down to miami on a weekend when they're going to be both games going on and see like how's the city doing and i don't know if i'll get to do that (laughs) but i think a big part of that was there are some big questions about whether or not the usl can live independently from mls within the same major market and st louis is going to be another case like that charlotte would be another case like that austin doesn't look like it will be but it might be another case like that right and you're looking at Gallagher being a strong independent academy as well, being a nonprofit, having all those kind of legal ramifications if they were gonna to try to be absorbed into the Carolyn Kindle Betts owned group. Um, all of that sort of stuff matters and all of that sort of stuff needs to be sorted out. And frankly, with how many different things an MLS organization is thinking about, that probably wasn't going to be a priority unless there's so many other things figured out, which it doesn't look like they have from what I'm hearing and from what I'm seeing. Yeah. So in that case, do I think St. Louis FC could live on under its separate umbrella? It might be able to, right? I mean, like it's, it's not in St. Louis, so there is a little bit of distance having spent five days down there sure. yeah. uh, last year, down there from Minnesota, of course. <laughs> South for other people. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, yes, you could have. And I, yes, I think that there is a successful blueprint where you say the MLS team is gonna take the Cardinals fans, it's gonna take the Blues fans, it's gonna take the, this is the best team in town, this is the best team I can see, whatever. Yeah. And it's not necessarily gonna go for the, this is still professional, it's more affordable, and it's great for the family. And I loved being at the stadium twice last year. Yeah. Uh, I loved being able to hang out with the Luligans. I thought that there was some really good, uh, I mean, the facility is fantastic out there too, especially by USL standards. So like could you absolutely but that's a question for ownership and when you have ownership that is split between the two different operations sorry this is a long answer no, but when I you have know. ownership who are wearing both hats at the same time they're going to choose the hat that can probably break the most money if they set it on the curb and that's major <laughs> league
0: soccer 100 you nailed so many different things in there uh, first of all me and the soccer goose from charlotte have been crying on each other's shoulders digitally because of a lot of these things <laughs> you're bringing up for sure um uh, but you nailed sure. it yeah, um yeah. they're different groups and it kills someone like me and Ben. Um, because we want to see our team that we love so much move on to the next level, and it's just not going to happen that way it's looking like. But um, you really nailed it when you said that the Blues fan, the Cardinals fans, those are the ones going to MLS, Mm -hmm. and it has been so infuriating. You'll see Luligans probably weekly during the season talking about how how come (laughs) no one comes out and watches this game. This team is awesome. This team is fun. People don't know how good it is out there, in my opinion, and they're not getting out there and seeing it, but it's not their thing, you know totally agree it is not their thing right. MLS will be their thing and St. Louis FC will be a different thing and it's a lot of it there's very little crossover there and it, it weirds us out sometimes but it's it's a truth um mm-hmm. but the other completely agree yeah go ahead
1: no I was just gonna say too I mean the other thing is you know the affiliation so where where these teams trip up and I think the reason that St. Louis FC has the potential to be a very different situation and Miami FC in the same boat is that it's not an affiliate. So you're not walking into the market saying, like, come watch Atlanta United 2. Come watch Sporting Kansas City 2. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a completely different operation, so it's a little bit easier to sell. Uh, I mean, I so Minnesota doesn't have a USL club, and it's very strange to live in a state without a team in the league and leagues I cover, <laughs> except for Major League Soccer, which I still cover quite a bit. But it, in Minnesota, there is a lot of fourth division and PSL clubs uh, playing in the North. I mean, Minneapolis city is probably the most famous, Duluth FC is arguably the more successful of the two. Mm-hmm. Med city is very strong in their market as well. Uh, there's a lot of other really strong teams in that conference and they are a, still able to pull in fans because it's not, you know, the, the, the second tier, it's not AAA baseball in an MLB town. It's still, you know, fun, independent soccer on its own thing. And I think that there's a way that you can successfully brand that. And when you're able to say also these are professionals, also this is the second division, not the fourth, you have even more of a sales pitch and more of a pull to the casual soccer fan who just wants to be able to go to a game or show their kids the game in a much more accessible, uh, family-friendly way with the patties and with everything behind the goal instead of putting them in this giant you know, 25, 30,000, 20, 20,000-seat stadium where they're going to get lost and they're going to have to sit down on the concourse, that sort of thing. Um, So there's still potential. I think there's a lot of potential. It's just going to be a matter of ownership interest as always.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one last thing to say is that there's no technical staff on a lot of these teams we're talking about. And so that whole thing could Mm -hmm. change once someone says, Hey, uh, let's use these people instead of throwing them away or ignoring them rather. I don't know how you want to put it, but um, this is my favorite article of yours. uh, As far as, um, the topics because it came right before the season started and I've been touting this for years why there aren't more players making the jump from USL to MLS thank you so much for bringing this topic to the forefront
1: (laughs) it's the second time I've written this piece in three years which is really infuriating thank you um (laughs) I mean, again, so I, apparently the NASL is just like my buzzword, my safe word at this point. But uh, I wrote about this in the context of USL and NFL three years ago for the Guardian. Um, and at that time, it was right after Minnesota United had just risen Major League Soccer. They were not good at defending. They were hardly good at scoring goals mm. through the first third of the season or so. Um, But by far their most consistent players were the players who had risen with them from the second division, the Christian Ramirez's, the Miguel Avaras, uh, the Ibsens, the Brent Coleman's of the world. And so the question then becomes, you know, why aren't more clubs doing this? And at this point, Sean Acoli, I think, was the last major move up uh, when he left. Cincinnati and went to NYCFC and then wasn't playing because there was a guy named David Villa ahead of him in the depth chart. So why would he? Um, so there just weren't players making that move at that point. Uh, and we're still, I think four months ahead, no, like six months ahead of when Mark Anthony Kay signed with LAFC. We're still Aaron long is a backup center back, who's barely getting minutes. So like we're at a point where there just aren't these kind of second division guys getting chances in the first division. And so, Fast forward a few years, you've had K, you've had Long, you've had, I mean, Davies and Adams are different things, but uh, they still rose up from the USL in that time. Um, but you're still not seeing players making that move besides, like, the occasional backup goalkeeper and the third string right back. Uh, meanwhile, you're seeing guys who are doing fantastic at clubs like Phoenix, at other, I mean, Louisville, I think now is getting looked at much more because of Mark Anthony Kay yeah. and Greg Ranjitsing to a lesser extent. but you know, this just doesn't happen as much. And I think this becomes a big question about Major League Soccer's allergy to paying transfer fees to the second division. Uh, I mean, in general, like, I mean, to you, I, I, I guess, do you have any sort of... What's your conspiracy theory here? I mean, like, it, you know, if you read the article, it's something that you think about quite a lot. It's something that you talk about on the Total Soccer Show when you went on that. And I see this scarf from the background, so there we go. <laughs> yeah. Like, what at that case then? Uh, like, why wouldn't you take a chance? Just thinking purely from someone who's an appreciator of soccer at all levels. Um, why is it so difficult at that point to bring in a player who's already acclimated to your own country, plays in your own country at the second division, bring them up to the first, you know?
0: Yeah, so they. So I dropped the ball on, well, no, I don't know if I did. I don't know MLS rules as well as I should, and I was actually wondering if you knew the rule. You've got time. Okay, yeah, right. Um, yeah. But they... They brought up in a following show um, our conversation and, and it had occurred to them after the fact there's some kind of weird MLS rule saying something about hitting your salary cap that some players will and some players won't and that if you bring up a yeah. USL player it'll hit your salary cap a little harder than if you had a TamGam or I don't even know what other kind of player they were talking about.
1: So, So that for the most part is going to be maximizing the usage of it I think what they're probably alluding to, and I might have missed this episode particularly. Uh, sorry.
0: Uh, I forget which one. Taylor and
1: Daryl. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, no, they're great guys too. Uh, with the athletic note, kind of. So that's great. Um, but I think that there's a, a difference in terms of maximizing your salary cap, and transfer fees do have to get baked into that. So you're not just signing a player on a free to a minimum salary like when James Musa moved up from Phoenix to Minnesota United as a free agent. I mean, he might not necessarily be on exactly league minimum, but they don't have to factor a transfer fee into a salary cap hit. Whereas transfer fees do affect that. So if you're signing a player to the league minimum or let's just say $80,000, mm-hmm. and you pay a meager transfer fee of $30,000, right? Which is like compared to what you're having to pay to get a guy from the second division of Germany is like nothing, right? Yeah. But uh if you bring in that player, suddenly he's a $110,000 player. So then you start overthinking it and you're saying, okay, $110,000. Well, I could stretch that and I could put you know 100 to this guy, 100 to this guy, and maybe I like that more. So it just puts that extra wrinkle of thought into it. There isn't necessarily like a, this league hurts your salary cap more than the other league sort of thing. In general, transfer fees are transfer fees, salaries to salaries, and adding those two things up coming up to numbers, which will always be compared to each other. Um, but the difference is, would you rather not spend league minimum on a guy that you think is going to be your second string left back, or would you rather put that extra $40,000 towards the salary of a guy that you think is gonna be a starting midfielder and upgrade that by $40,000 worth, uh, which might you think makes a bigger difference in the front half of your team. That's usually the the kind of uh, arithmetic that these teams are working through.
0: Without a doubt. Um, you mentioned conspiracy theories. Dan Edgar had some really good yeah. quotes in this one. And uh, this quote, it's a little bit of a long one, so I apologize. But um, he says, I think there's a stigma that if an MLS club pays a transfer fee for a guy who joined a USL club for free, they're admitting that they have missed him. I think that's an interesting point that he makes there. Um, and i if I had a conspiracy, I think that would be kind of a legitimate one
1: and i think that that ego part of it is something that i mean especially like so i think that there's a part where they say these are usually players who by and large the players who make the move up from usl are players who may have gone to college in the states um and spent a couple of years playing second division soccer got better as players tend to do when they start playing professionally and now look much better than they did when they were 22 year olds right uh and i think that clubs look at that as oh we didn't scout the super draft well and we're at a moment of mls now where not only is it highly unlikely that all of their super draft picks will sign with the mls club it's rare that clubs get more than one player out of the super draft so now they're looking at it and saying okay well we passed in the third round of the year where this guy undrafted and now suddenly he's tearing things up at new mexico united i don't want to pay 60k for that guy because now i'm admitting i can't scout the super draft which is just
0: absurd to
1: me It (laughs) blows my mind but i think that's that's a lot of what egner's getting at at that point is that it's ego it's validating their scouting instead of just saying like look he wasn't ready at that point he's gotten a lot better playing in the championship and now I want to be able to make that move. Or maybe he's playing well in League One. I like him a lot. I'm going to sign him to a two-year deal, and I'm going to guarantee to loan him to the championship for the entire first year. Yep. Not think about him, put him on roster spot 31, and then loan him out for the year, and then we're going to just check in again next year. And if he if doesn't work out, I loan him again. If it does work out, suddenly I have a guy on League Minimum who is even better than he was already. Yep. No MLS club thinks like that. I know. It blows my mind. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Nobody does this. But they should.
0: You're preaching, you're preaching to the choir, and, and, and I understand the skepticism because this is a bit of a new thing that the, US, that the championship is a measurable quantity, right? And so we know how much better a, a player gets. We can compare him to, say, the U-20 World Cup and what he can do there. And those players often go to somewhere pretty nice, honestly, if they can do really well in the U-20 World Cup. And now a lot of those That's players great. are coming from the USL or the MLS development system. So um, we've got German clubs looking at places like the USL. We, a lot we get a lot of plays in in uh, the netherlands on youtube from what i hear so um you know it's a thing (laughs) it's big it's huge (laughs) it's a thing and mls clubs need to realize that there that it it is a possibility i think the early adopters might get a year or two on the rest um but you know the last thing i'll say about it is that we almost got to see adam john get a shot at atlanta united and uh, i'm not sure we're gonna get that anymore right i know
1: it's uh, and and he's
0: such a like for like player with Joseph Martinez, <laughs> basically the same I think guy. That was
1: the thing I was most excited about, right? Like you just think of Adam John as like the American <laughs> Joseph Martinez. Yeah. Everyone said it the entire season. Now he gets his shot. No, but I mean, like it, it's interesting, right? Like you, that would have been such a fascinating case study because Atlanta did not have the cap room to sign another, you know, sign Daniel Sturridge, which was everyone's pipe dream from, you know, he's not at Liverpool anymore, is he? Um, I sport? You know, they wouldn't be able to do that sort of thing. So it probably would have been Adam John, or maybe it would have been JJ Williams or something. But sure. like at that point, it's just so fascinating to be able to see these guys who were scoring goals in the USL last season, in both cases actually with Williams as well. Um, and see how they would do in an attack that is always lauded as the best. And now like, no, they're not gonna break goal scoring records like Martinez, but could they have done 15? And if they would have gotten 15 goals between the two of them, what does that do for USL Championship players moving forward? Yeah. And we won't know that. You know, so it, you're right, it is really unfortunate.
0: Exactly where I wanted to go with that though, so thank you very much. That's We just need a guy to prove it, and then perhaps we'll get more chances. Dan Edgar at Real Salt Lake, um, who we mentioned a minute ago, is giving that a shot Mm -hmm. and not only that he's trying to get the the pyramid going from uh you mentioned it league one into championship and so that's really cool i like that he's doing that um what what's the guy's name gonzalez oh well there's
1: Arturo rodriguez that's who i'm Um, thinking of and north texas yeah yeah yeah. uh which i think that would have been really cool too and that was uh I mean that's not done right like there's there's still like look they'll find a way to play something in 2020 i still very much believe i think that there's too much at risk for owners just to say like look we're going to forget about it i think that there's going to be some sort of usl product in 2020 still don't quote me on that in two months when this all escalates <laughs> right like this is just with the facts that i have in front of me but uh, at the same point i think that with that that's a player who is clearly well was voted the best player the most valuable whatever in the third division now he gets moved to the second division maybe he wasn't going to start right away but maybe he would have worked his way into it as RSL needed to call up some guys or maybe he just trained his way into the starting lineup for Hanson Alave who knows and if you have that sort of thing go on can he make it all the way to RSL if not next year the year after that if then he comes in next year becomes like a five goal eight assist guy could he have continued that progression everyone would have loved that. There's still a very real chance that that all happens. But we need, like you said, we need to see that case. The NASL finally broke through with Christian Ramirez making that transition to uh, Minnesota United in 2017 with Major League Soccer uh, as the team moved up, And then he led the team in goals that season. Uh, Still, actually, that 2017 season, as bad as it was, Ramirez's goal total that year is more than any other loon has scored in Major League Soccer in any single season. Mm -hmm. So like, there's still some success with that. And then uh, Stefano Pino moves up to Orlando City, and he doesn't do so great, but the NASL's dead too, so they're not gonna sign NASL guys. So the USL is kinda next, and you need that sort of guy. Sean O'Coli didn't get that look. Matt Fondi certainly wasn't gonna get that look. So you need to be able to find someone. Lancaster didn't get that look this year. He got loaned out before the season even started. So you need to find that guy who's gonna be able to make that. Mark Anthony Kaye, people are willing to write off as a one in a million because he was a former TFC Academy player in Toronto. Um, so you just need to find that guy. It's that easy. Want to out we're looking at you.
0: Yeah, right. I like that. <laughs> um, but the common denominator here is that these guys didn't make it an MLS, a lot of them. And then they got better in the championship like that's the admission that we need to break into people is that it does improve players it makes them better pros it makes them better players more talented players at that um moving on uh let's go straight down we'll talk about this and then we'll see if we have more time for other stuff uh depending on what you got going here jeff um the last thing I oh, want to talk hey, about yours at this uh, point. Let's go. Love it. Uh splitting conferences in order to play this year. I thought that was a great idea. Uh you did the interview with Jake Edwards and he said that was a great idea um and that you should be inside the uh, meeting room perhaps and I am all for that first of all. For for the record,
1: I have not been in the meeting room for the ensuing meeting since then. So that <laughs> unfortunately did not materialize. But go Come continue. on,
0: Jake. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's uh, let's go into it, though. I-, I like the way you broke it down. Some people have mentioned adding League One teams and maybe even under that uh, to the thing and making it more regionalized, but you were the first one mm-hmm. to kind of break it up the way you did. What it- I liked it.
1: So what would you do? For- okay, first of all, we'll- actually, maybe I'll just say what I wrote, uh, the thing that people may have read. Yes. While you have time to think about this, and then I'll come back to you and ask you what you would do. So now <laughs> you know. That is the next topic. Ready. But for me... What I had written about was breaking the, each conference, still keeping the conference structure in theory. So you have 15, no, that's wrong, 18 in the West, 17 in the East. And then you're breaking them up basically in half. So you're saying nine and nine in the West. Uh, you draw a line. You have Phoenix go one direction, Monarchs go the other way. Boom, there you go. And then you send Missouri. Uh, what did I do to Missouri? I think I put them in the Northeast quadrant, and then I put – North Carolina and Charlotte in the southeast because that just felt better. And Missouri is just Mm -hmm. the one where those two clubs don't quite make sense for either. They make much more sense for the southwest, but they're not in the west. So uh, basically, yes, you've got nine, 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 eight in the east, and then you play every team in your division at this point twice, which bring and then you have to play a couple to make math work in the southeast. But whatever, Um, and so then you've got. 16 games and then you play the other division once if time allows depending on how soon you're able to resume play and that would bring you to 25 which is not 34 games if my math checks out but 25 is still a fair number of games when you play against each opponent at least once or twice where you're able to say okay these are the teams that should rise to the playoffs and then if you're doing what the usl is discussing um per sources, whatever, uh, where you will have two teams from each of these divisions then go to the playoffs. So you only have eight playoff teams across the entire league, four per conference. It's a, you don't have to schedule out five, four weeks of postseason. You only have to schedule out three, maybe even two and a half. So then you have a little bit more time to work with. You could fit in all 25. Um, I think that that makes a ton of sense to me. Mm -hmm. I think that that saves on travel costs significantly cuts them. um, The first, one result of the season and then the extra result for Tacoma and San Diego really fun games the fans love themselves those points didn't count I think that you just need to reset the clock especially because you had two teams that played an extra game Mm -hmm. so I don't know how you work that into the math because suddenly you would have Tacoma and San Diego at 27 and the rest of the league at 26 um so I would just scrap them which is unfortunate but San Diego can still say they got their first result or whatever. It's still fun. Uh, But then the results mean more when you come back from this all, as every single result in soccer, win, lose, or draw, will mean more once we get to see soccer happening in our backyards once again. So I think that you have some forgiveness from the fans and from the media if you were to scrap those results purely because of the situation where we're all just so thirsty for soccer at this point. So that's what I would do. And I think that's that's what the frontrunner was at least three weeks ago in USL we'll see what they come up with when they're able to resume Phil,
0: what would you do <laughs> first of all i think that's probably the most likely thing to happen because usl sends to be pretty practical about their decisions and so i think that is a very practical way to go about it and i think it's the way that probably business-wise they should go about it um now me personally I'm a huge fan of the open cup and I would love to see multi levels compete with each other for the rest of the season. And if it makes it easier in some ways to regionalize it one step smaller, you know, let's say we only have like four or five teams in one region. If we can slip a league one team in there, heaven forbid, if we can slip a NISA team in there or something like that, wouldn't that sure. be so much fun? I think that'd be really cool. And and in some ways without, without the, the league separation, um, NPSL, I you know I talked to some of their people once, and the way they run their um, their league is there's different divisions. Uh, I think that's the word they use. It doesn't matter, you know what I mean. Um, and that division just decides yeah, yeah, yeah. what like, they yeah. do, you know. And so yep. if they want to play two games each, if they want to have five friendlies on top of that with whoever the hell they want, they can and they do. And I think right, that would be a right. good way to go about it. Just hey this region wants to add this team and this team into their play, just do it, you know, and and just Mm -hmm. see what happens. Now that's not very organized, but it sure would be a lot of fun.
1: No, it's okay. And I think honestly, if you're willing to just break the conference thing, like I think it's so tough to be able to say like they'll bring in League One or Nisa, but like why does Missouri have to suddenly start planning flights out to Hartford, Connecticut? Right. (laughs) Right. When they could just be playing against monarchs or they could be playing against uh some of the north texas teams or whatever and you can just say like look it's closer it saves us on travel costs and we're going to be able to play these teams more often because we won't need four days to recover from the travel plus the game uh plus training so you're able to speed it up quicker i think you could break the conference bolt i don't think you need conferences this year i think that things are so weird and so broken already not just in soccer, but just like in society, where yeah. people will just be like, look, you don't wanna have conferences? That's okay, that's cool. Just put five different groupings of teams that make total sense in terms of geography for the clubs themselves. Mm-hmm. You say two per, make it to a playoffs, or we don't have a playoffs, but I think everyone wants a playoffs. So then you say, okay, we'll, we'll do this, we'll do play in rounds, the best teams, whatever. I don't think you need conferences this year. I, I think I'm with you where, like, if this makes most sense and you say, hey, we've got these seven teams ready to go, everyone's willing and eager to pay for travel, busing or flights or whatever to get to the stadia, I don't think you need to necessarily say, yeah, but Missouri is technically east, even though all of the teams are closer to some of the west. Mm-hmm. Um I'm just picking on Missouri because one, you're from there too. Uh, it's the problem state right now. If you're trying to make the map, and I, if I remember right with my piece, like that's just like a hilarious like <laughs> cut to try to include them into the East. Like, it just looks terrible. Um, I don't think you need to do that this year. I really don't. And then you go back to East-West next year, or you do the division thing, or you do whatever you want next year. You take yeah. Edwards. You You can do whatever you want with the vote of confidence from your owners. I just think this year you need to get soccer back on the table, finding ways to make travel costs cheaper and more stomachable for all of the clubs involved is going to make that happen a little bit quicker as soon as you're able to
0: yeah let's continue with jake edwards doing whatever the heck he wants uh within reason um he i want to stick with your interview uh first of all great job it was it was fun to watch i enjoyed you hit all the hot <laughs> points it was perfect um pro rel man you know he came back to the two or three year thing is what he would quote like to do or something to that to that liking um what do you think let's yeah. talk about pro rel man
1: do you want like my personal opinions or do i want what i
0: think could Mm. happen let's yeah let's say best case scenario what could what could happen
1: what could happen um what could happen i i think that you would need to get a baseline level of buy-in from league one so this is something that I'm looking to hopefully report out and someone's going to beat me to it now that I've got this up there, but that's fine. I'll retweet it. And the idea is that you're going to not just need to be able to reassure, uh, I mean, who finished last in the conferences of independent clubs last year, you know, like, let's just say Hartford, like they won't, they're going to be better, right? Cause they're in year two moving forward. The new coaches look really good, all that stuff, mm-hmm. but I'm just going to pick on Hartford. So let's say Hartford, was relegated after the 2019 season because they were, if I remember right, sorry if I'm wrong, the lowest finishing Eastern Conference team that wasn't an MLS affiliate.
0: Mm -hmm. So you drop them
1: and you bring up Greenville Triumph. Okay, so if that's going to be the maneuver, um, you don't just need to make sure that Hartford doesn't lose sleep over the fact that they feel like, okay, third division is worse than second, even though the TV contracts aren't really that different, yeah. um, but it's an optics sort of thing to sell it to the market. You need to make sure that Greenville Triumph is gonna be able to meet the minimum standards of the uh, US soccer's sanctioning, which is third division, your stadium needs to have at least a thousand seats. Second Division, it's 5,000 seats, technically. So you can put some waivers, leagues are able to put in as like a certain limit of waivers and say like, yes, this club has four, but it's only four, right? Like, it's not that bad. and So you get a waiver for that. It's not just saying like, okay, we have a 20 seat stadium, they can play games, please let us have this, okay? So you have that sort of stuff. You also have owners who, Third Division, I think they need to have $10 million, if I remember right, of expendable income. Second Division, it's 20. And so you're already looking at, like, okay, well, our, our, our main owner, isn't that rich, so how are we going to be able to operate this under federational standards? These are the questions that you're going to need to be able to answer before you can truly get pro-rel. I know that when everyone talks pro-rel, they're like, yes, but let's talk stadium size, let's talk about the richest owner, let's talk about all of these little minutiae things that only Jeff Reuter cares about, Uh, and that's going to allow us to see Ford Madison play against Louisville City in a league game or whatever. So. I think those questions still need to be answered. I think that there's still a lot of growth that League One needs to do. Yeah, um, Not just in terms of like, sophisticating his product, but just growth. Like, raw size of League, that is not big enough yet. That's not gonna be able to sustain, that's not if you're going to be looking at like you need to have teams that are good enough to rise the league's not big enough to prove that a team's good enough Mm -hmm. okay so do you need to figure out the mls affiliate thing are there is there going to be pro rel just between the affiliates where the worst affiliate drops and the best affiliate rises does the best affiliate actually want to rise if they self-relegated to league one probably not Mm -hmm. um so there's a lot of mess that happens with that. You can copy Germany, where affiliates like uh, Bayern Munich two doesn't promote or relegate ix Young ix in Holland doesn't move up and down the table. That sort of stuff. Like Barcelona you can come up with all these yeah. disclaimers, if you want. Barca, Barca v does the exact same thing, right? Uh, Real Madrid two used to have to run into that sort of thing, and now they're just not good. Mm-hmm. But that's these are the kind of things that you have to be able to figure out. And so I think that's when you hear two to three years, like maybe it's a little optimistic, but the fact that they can like a person, let me rephrase that. A person in Jacob Edwards position understands that he can't just say like, maybe we'll try it next year. If there's a 0% chance that next year could happen. Mm -hmm. He's not in a position where he's allowed to do that. The league is uh, too big for that to happen now. Right. Um, So if that's the case, like if he's saying like three years isn't unrealistic, I know that just serendipitously lines up with their TV agreement with ESPN. Isn't that funny how that math works out? But, I love it, <laughs> uh, love it. Uh, these are the things I didn't say during the broadcast that I'm thinking immediately, but, um, that's a huge selling point to espn i'm sure so if there's a way that they're able to say look like i know that you're not getting on less involved yet but if this is such a ratings bonanza and this is something that american soccer casuals love so much and the fans in the markets like lose sleep over and pregame a little heavier because they're worried about it or have to find a babysitter when usually they bring their kids to the game because they're gonna be so stressed like these sorts of things, like you want this game in this country, you want to broadcast our games, therefore you have to pay a little bit more. Mm -hmm. If it works like that, they'll find a way to make it work. And they can't say that, they shouldn't say that, because that's too cynical. But (laughs) it's the reality of it. I mean, that's just like the the baseline middle view is that ProRel sells. I personally would love to see promotion and relegation in the United States. I would love to see it start in the USL and see if it's viable. And if it's very viable, sky's the limit at
0: that point yeah and, and i like that as a next question like leading in what is it what does it do for the usl if they make it work and does that affect what mls does and and as i'm gonna throw all this one in too has the usl pushed the mls mm-hmm. and forced the mls forced mls to uh put you know change their rules as well even as far back as five years ago
1: yeah um usl's involvement has forced mls to make some changes in pure terms of roster rules for sure if there's affiliations in terms of scouting your player pool in terms of taking the open cup more seriously whatever it may be the usl has pushed the envelope pushed the level on that which is good the usl can already like take some credit for that um will mls eventually get involved in pro i'm a little worried that they're already too far down the single entity closed system path to actually pivot easily like there are ways you could do it you could force owners who don't want to be to sell but that's a terrible look for the league mm-hmm. there's no reason the league would do that because of these be owners who help stabilize it into i guess one of the top five leagues in the united states in terms of all male sports and probably, if I'm just being like really, really harsh, one of the top 15 to 20 soccer leagues in the world, right? Um, So if that's just like your baseline barometer of success, I think MLS is above that 15 to 20 range. But if that is your definition of success, there's no reason MLS should change. MLS has already hit that point. Mm -hmm. I get it. It sucks. It's not necessarily the best thing for American soccer, but it's here to stay and it's a good system. It really is, especially from an ownership standpoint, it's an amazing system. So there's really no reason to force your key financial stakeholders uh, <laughs> to poop or get off the pot or whatever. So if that's the case, then you're moving into the USL not being run by MLS. It's not an MLS Reserve League, it never has been, it certainly isn't now. Um, they're able to do their own thing. And maybe there's still an agreement where your reserve teams, again, getting back to Monarchs, getting back to Red Bulls 2, all these teams, can play in our leagues, TFC 2, Orlando City B, Revs 2, like, they can all play in our leagues, they're just not going to be involved in our Mm pro-rel. What's our league's biggest selling point? Our pro-rel. What are the games that get the most views? Our pro-rel. Your teams won't be involved in that. So you can still play against it, it's just that we're going to be broadcasting our other games. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have a better level of competition, you're just not going to be able to make the money off of it. And that's like, about as fair of compromises you can get because that's probably a better league at that point if you have Phoenix Rising, Louisville, and in three years when Leo Messi is playing in St. Louis FC, that ha! team too. Lord, like, like All of these different things, you're welcome. There you go. But, like, these are the teams that are better competition week in, week out. Guys who are pissed that they didn't get their chance at Atlanta now get to take it out on Atlanta too. That's kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so if that's the case, you have better competition, uh, you have a better league than you could start with your reserves league. You just don't get the the benefits and the hurt that the independent clubs get. And I think that's where you'll probably see it at least in the next five years. We'll see after that, who knows.
0: Yeah, your your level of cynicism with uh, money and its involvement in soccer decisions is is a healthy, we needed a healthy dose of that on this show. That's been very good. <laughs> um, okay,
1: yeah, I know it's not fun, right? But no, but it's yeah, right. at this point, it, it it no, it's just, you know, it's 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 interesting because I'm still in a dual role where I cover Major League Soccer in the USL by my own personal choice. Um and, and that is you love to say it's the passion of the game, you love to say, but I don't think that you're gonna be asking like, like I'm a AFC Bournemouth fan over in England, right? And I don't think that you're gonna go up to AFC Bournemouth ownership and say, like, ah, but the love of the game, your team was in 18th place with Nine games to go, just relegate because it's cleaner, it's better for the optics, and it just makes English footy work better. They're not going to do that because it's not fair. So they're going to push for a way where you have 22 teams in the premiership next Mm. year. Like it does at the end of the day come back to owners and their money, unfortunately. And if that's the case, why would MLS lose this model where they're guaranteed first division soccer, where they have their costs at a fixed rate, where they're investment in theory is going to skyrocket in 2026 all of these things there's really no reason for owners to think about taking more of a risk and a few of these owners actually having to live with that risk not yet mm. and it sucks but that is the system we're in 25 years major league soccer we're in 10 years of the usl pro era that is the ecosystem we have and you're operating within it
0: yeah yeah, 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 I think I think all that is like I said, I think it's good for a show. And I, I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, I want to imagine this is I think we should stop with this, the imaginary part of this show. It's a crazy one. Um, and so, you know, mm-hmm. take a nice big drink of that Guinness there. And let's imagine together uh, without too in. many reservations uh, about the US. Sorry, the MLS Liga MX Super League possibility, right? And and I'm gonna choose for you because okay. uh, this is the one I hope happens. I'm gonna choose the way that it could possibly <laughs> happen, and then we're gonna imagine. And you're gonna, okay. you can touch on that for sure before for, shortly before we go too crazy. Um, but we're gonna imagine what the USL yeah. would look like in that environment. And so let's say 10 to 15 MLS. At teams in league mx teams go into a super league to form 20 or 30 okay. of the best north american teams let's say or between those two countries at least um that leaves some mls okay. teams in the next league down okay. and then that leaves usl championship and usl league One. First of all talk shortly about that and then where does the usl fall in that world
1: <laughs> uh I mean, like, there's a chance, right? And I, I don't want to get too far into the weeds for a second straight thing. So, like, there's a chance, right? And you just find a way. You say it's by merit or you say it's by market size. Like, you'll find a way. And then you'll be able to weasel it down. and You'll be able to have your 25, I don't know what you call it, Liga MS, <laughs> whatever you find a way that you're able to brand this sucker and then you market it you have this you have some close promotion relegations that clubs who feel yeah, slighted like Colorado Rapids or like uh Cruz Azul you know all these clubs I think Cruz Azul would probably stay up but like for example like these are the clubs that maybe would be like no but I should get promoted like I'm not going to just live in the second tier after spending the last 25 to 75 years in the first tier so you have to find a way to make that work and then the USL then becomes the third division the championship becomes third division league one becomes the fourth division and you probably either have like what happens the fifth tier of England where you have two different fifth division leagues you know uh, the national league system below that um And so then you have like the playoffs where you have the American playoffs cut down on travel and the Mexican playoffs and then the finals go and the winner of that final then plays in the promotion final or whatever. You'd find a way to make that work. So, yes, it's feasible. How's that? (laughs) Yeah. Is that more optimistic? Yeah. Okay, great.
0: (laughs) At best. Again, I'm I'm feeling the cynicism, Jeff. (laughs) But let's say it's happened. I'm just, I don't know, man. Yeah, no. Objective I mean, journalism. We'll call it that. I like yeah. it. That's good. That's good. Um, but yeah, if that were to happen, um, do you think USL takes a step up in that situation just because MLS, the second tier of MLS mm. and the top tier of USL, they wouldn't look so different anymore, would they?
1: Not necessarily. I think competitively, they'd have to be looked at similarly. But I think the bigger issue, if I'm putting on against my, again, my just like pure middle road, objective journalist viewpoint, is that Liga MX and MLS could have these discussions without the USL at the table. Mm. Because Liga MX runs the Ascencio. They run their second division. They're able to look at it and say, like, okay, well, they have to be included. But MLS and USL changed their verbiage this year instead of saying a five-year agreement when they first signed it in 2015 to run through 16, 17, 18, 19. And then press releases in 2020, it's been a very subtle change. But they've started calling it a year-to-year agreement. (laughs) So there isn't a reason for the USL to be at that table uh, if you're purely looking for the cleanest process to make this happen. And so if this happens and, the, and Liga of and Major League Soccer are able to sit down and say, like, look, we hashed out an agreement, you guys are on your own now. And you're still in the pyramid in terms of like hierarchy and sanctioning and all of this stuff that only about 20 of us in the country care about. But you're no longer able to work towards that goal of promotion and relegation with yeah. the first division. They don't have to do that. No. They, they really have no incentive to do that.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I'm okay with that. And and I, I was actually assuming that's the way it would be, to be honest with you. Of course, they're not going to have a a seat at Mm -hmm. that table. They were never, ever, ever going to have a seat at that table. Um, but what I'm saying is the USL has a history of dealing with grassroots soccer. You know, Ryan Madden has to take my calls once in a while. And so, um, they have a connection, (laughs) right? Um, so, um, MLS isn't good at that per se. In fact, actually, I would say at times they're bad at that, um, And it's going to become a lot more of a regionalized type league if they had a lower MLS, you know, and they're not used to dealing with that. I think the top USL league versus lower half of MLS, it's just that culture is going to be there right off the bat for the USL teams. And they're going to know how to roll with that. And they won't be disappointed. They're going to come out and be as excited as ever. And then when the open cup comes around, those teams could kick the crap out of those lower MLS teams. So it's just, I think that's an interesting world that I've been kind of dreaming about a little bit since that news has come out.
1: What else happens in that world? I mean, like I want to hear about that. Like, I mean, like, so you've got knockout games, you've got more motivated, suddenly, I'm just gonna say like Louisville, Tampa, Phoenix, uh, San Antonio, whatever. We'll just say that they're all just fantastic young players right And, and <laughs> San Antonio becomes a powerhouse. I'm I don't know why they're the next team I went to, but they're the next team I went to. So they are suddenly saying like okay Colorado, Vancouver, Orlando, Who else has been at the bottom of the east for a long time now? New England, like these clubs, like these are the teams now that's our level. Of course, they're going to be motivated, but like, what else happens in that ecosystem at that point?
0: Well, I think the the most interesting thing is, ideally, the USL can push those teams a little higher. Right. And maybe even make it smaller and harder to get into after they lose a couple of those MLS teams that they're bound to lose a few more. Right. But you push those teams like Louisville and um, uh, even San Diego, if they can hold them or Phoenix, if they don't go up, push those teams to the highest possible level, keep, those leagues super top heavy to the point where um, when New England Revolution loses to um, Louisville in in the Open Cup, they're going to scout those players. And there's going to be a lot more movement between those two leagues than there would be right now because Mm -hmm. they'd be closer. There would be less ego. There would be less of a, I miss that guy, therefore I don't want to look bad by signing him, that kind of thing. I feel like they'd be closer and they'd be more willing to work together and, and our pyramid might look a little bit better because of it.
1: It would certainly function more like a pyramid,
0: yeah,
1: right, <laughs> and not like, not like a Duplo tower, <laughs> yeah, where perfect. the Duplos don't connect, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, they're just like some Duplos, and like you put one on the bottom shelf, and then you put another one on the next shelf of your bookshelf, you put another one on that, and like technically it's like third tier, second tier, first tier. They yeah. just don't interact with each other, which is kind of what you have right now in American soccer, right? Like, no, you're completely right. That is a more functional. The Duplos are connected. Mm -hmm. in your version of
0: that yeah Yeah. like a 30 year old was putting together his tower with duplos (laughs) next to the toddler that put his tower together that's that's what those two towers are like
1: that's about right that's Uh, about right yeah
0: (laughs) jeff uh we missed a lot of your articles today we couldn't go through them all there's so many good ones man and again i want to thank you for writing about the usl um and i hope it continues to be a good thing for you and the athletic uh for doing so uh jeff Where can people find you, man? Where can they look at your tweets and find your articles?
1: At The Athletic. Uh, So you can find me on Twitter at Jeff Reuter, R-U-E-T-E-R. And The Athletic right now uh, is running a 90-day free trial for new subscribers. So if you sign on uh, any of our articles, but please, I mean, like, choose a soccer article. Choose an article from a writer that you want to support because we get those metrics and we're able to say, like, hey, people are signing on for my coverage of – forward Madison, so I should write about them more. Are they covering you know these bigger topics about the second division of US soccer? We should get more of that. That's stuff unfortunately like that is that is important. It still is. Um or sign up because of a baseball article. It's okay with me. As long as you're still reading, right? But you're able to sign up. You get your first ninety days free. Uh you're able to see if you like it or you don't. If not you'd passed a lot of time because we have some pretty long articles on occasions. Um and you can find all my stuff there. So uh yeah just google jeff rudy the athletic and choose an article and have fun
0: there you go there you go this world is is run on metrics so if you want jeff who i think asks all the right questions (laughs) and does a good job getting the access to the usl and jake edwards in the future then you you do what he just asked you to do so which i am all for uh jeff again man thank you uh how you how are you handling this whole thing is your life changed at all actually are you just still kind of staying at home and writing your articles
1: So, I work from home, so that part has stayed the same, but my wife is now home every day as well, and my dog, our dog, Mm -hmm. loves it, but he's a mama's boy. (laughs) And if my wife needs to leave to go for a hike, to run an errand, to just leave the house for a minute, he notices, and now he takes offense to that. Whereas before, (laughs) when she was working at a location, uh he didn't and he was just used to that and it was chill. So there's more activity in the Ruder ho household. Um but other than that, uh it's I mean it's I don't know, I'm writing about soccer during a pandemic, which is a really weird kind of thing to wrap your head around. But um you know, the job itself is about the same, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, I just don't get out a lot, but that's all right.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we how can all. You? how are you doing? How are you guys doing? Oh, good. Uh, You know, can relate to that. I'm forced to go into work, but not as much as before. So that's the good side. Okay. And I said... So for listeners,
1: we're now to the point where Jeff and Phil haven't seen each other in 11 months. Because we (laughs) grabbed a few drinks together when I was in St. Louis. So now we're just catching up. So (laughs) if you're not interested in Jeff and Phil's life, this is the time for you to sign off. If you are...
0: Continue. yeah no i mean i i think we should just sign it off here actually um but yeah i hope everyone's enjoyed it we've gone about an hour and 25 minutes so it's been a long one but we got to geek out pretty good so uh one last time thanks jeff and we'll talk soon